For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore and Twitter and to social at Monica Crowley. Also by email, you can reach me at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, coming up this week, I just want to let you know we're going to handle some big topics this week. Uh, later in the week, I want to talk about the World Health Organization and these amendments and this new pandemic treaty that they are debating that Biden is very willing to jump on. And you know what, guys, we have been covering this now over the last year since we have been doing this show. And on Wednesday, we are really going to do a deep dive because time is of the essence for us to stop this. This is a complete handing over of our sovereignty on public health decision-making to the World Health Organization, which is a completely corrupt organization controlled by the CCP and by the Gates Foundation and all of these other villains that are constantly seeking to strip our freedoms away. Biden is totally down with these amendments and with this treaty. They're two separate things. And on Wednesday, I really want to talk about it because we need to mobilize everybody. We need to put all kinds of pressure on our elected representatives and others to stop this thing before it's too late, because the consequences for you and your family will be grave if this stuff goes through. It won't matter if you live in a free state like Florida or a deep blue communist state like California or New York, where they're so eager to always lock you down and take away your freedoms, you might think, well, I live in Tennessee. I live in Texas. I live in Florida. I'll be fine. No. No, because these amendments and this treaty actually will supersede state law. They'll supersede federal law. It won't matter. You will have to mask. You will have to take an experimental medicine. You will have to do all of these things if the World Health Organization and the Biden administration get their way. This is super scary, guys, and we've covered it. We're going to cover it again on Wednesday because you need to know what's going on. Very, very dangerous. Also, later in the week, uh, we're going to deal with the border. We're going to deal with some other really big issues. I want to take on Michelle Obama uh, because this is heating up. 
And our friend Joel Gilbert is going to join us either this week or next week. I'm in the process of scheduling him. We're also going to get an update on this whole issue of biological males competing in girls' sports with Senator Tuberville, who will join us once again with an update. He's been leading the charge in the U.S. Senate. Amazing. Amazing. So we've got some big topics, big guests coming up down the pike, so you don't want to miss an episode of this show. Make sure you tell everybody you know, friends, family, colleagues, they need to be listening to the Monica Crowley podcast. All right, later today, we're going to be joined by Congresswoman Kat Kamek. She is terrific. She's from Florida. She's been all over the CCP wanting to buy our farmland. She's also been all over the border. We're going to talk to her about those things. And she also is not quite ready to endorse either President Trump or Governor DeSantis, her governor in the state of Florida. So we'll ask her about that too. Kat Kamek coming straight up. First up, the Monica memo. Jeffrey Epstein keeps coming back from the dead. Maybe he's not even dead. How do you like that conspiracy theory? Maybe he faked his own death or other people faked his death. I've heard that floated as well. I don't know. But all I know is that every so often we get new information about Jeffrey Epstein and his circle of very high profile people. And we get new reporting. And we wonder, what's up? What's up? I don't know. What was up with Jeffrey Epstein? Most people don't know what was up with Jeffrey Epstein. But every so often, we get a new release of information. Now that he's dead, we assume he's dead, we get a new release of information. We get investigative reporters actually doing their jobs and digging into some of this stuff. Well, over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal published yet another blockbuster piece based on Jeffrey Epstein's private calendar that shows uh, never-before-disclosed meetings with some very powerful people. And I want to bring you this story because, uh, you know, we haven't covered it on this show. And again, I have no idea. Do I think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? I don't know. I wasn't in the prison. I wasn't in his cell. I, I wasn't there. I don't know. But what I do know is there was a lot of suspicious activity in the prison that night. Guards falling asleep at opportune times. Cameras not working. Nobody knew what the heck was going on in that jail with the most high-profile prisoner in the United States. And the more we learn about what Epstein was up to, and so much of it remains shrouded in mystery. How did he make his fortune? Nobody knows. He was positioning himself as a billionaire who was incredibly well-connected. Well, I'll say, I don't know how much money Jeffrey Epstein actually had. Was it a billion or more? Who knows? Again, all of this shrouded in mystery. So with all of the powerful names connected to him, questions, big questions still remain. What in Sam Hill was actually going on with Jeffrey Epstein. Was he a spy? Was he a spy for the CIA? Was he a spy for the Israeli Mossad? Who knows? Or was he just a regular business guy that because he positioned himself as a powerful billionaire, a lot of other powerful people wanted to know him, wanted his money, wanted him to invest? Was it all on the up and up? Well, what we do know now is that he was essentially running a pedophile operation. Was it bigger than just him and Ghislaine Maxwell? I don't know. I don't know. Was he trafficking these girls just for his use and Ghislaine's use and and maybe a few other close people? Or was this a global kind of pedophile thing going on that he was at the center of, or at least part of? I don't know. Again, none of us know. But my job is to raise questions. And I think, based on the reporting that we've gotten so far, and certainly this Wall Street Journal piece, which I want to bring to you now, because we have high-ranking people who are supposed to be leading the United States right now, whose names are connected to this, I think we deserve some answers. The answers that we're getting is, oh, it was all innocent. 
I, I had no idea. I had no idea about the underage girl stuff. I had no, no idea that he was connected to these other people. I don't, you know, I've no, and all those explanations may in fact be true. Those people may very well be innocent. They may just have seen this powerful, well-connected, rich guy and thought, okay, he could be useful to me and my business in X, Y, and Z. Maybe it has nothing whatsoever to do with uh, underage girls, etc. I I don't know. None of us know. And isn't that the point? That none of us know. So over the weekend, this uh, blockbuster piece from the Wall Street Journal drops. Here it is. Epstein's private calendar reveals prominent names, including CIA chief and Goldman Sachs' top lawyer. This article is written by Wall Street Journal reporters Khadija Safdar. We had at Treasury, we had a little bit of interaction with her. She's a very good reporter. And David Benoit. Okay. So here's how it starts. The nation's spy chief, a longtime college president, and top women in finance. The circle of people who associated with Jeffrey Epstein years after, this is critical, Years after, and this is critical, years after he was a convicted sex offender is wider than previously reported, according to a trove of documents that include his schedules. William Burns, director of the Central Intelligence Agency since 2021, Biden's CIA director, had three meetings scheduled with Epstein in 2014 when he was deputy secretary of state. The documents show. They first met in Washington, and then Mr. Burns visited Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan. Catherine Rumler, a White House counsel under President Barack Obama, had dozens of meetings with Epstein in the years after her White House service and before she became a top lawyer at Goldman Sachs in 2020. He also planned for her to join a 2015 trip to Paris and a 2017 trip to Epstein's private island in the Caribbean. Can we just stop for a second here? I don't know what was going on on Epstein's island in the Caribbean, Little St. James, but a former White House counsel to President Obama is at the island as late as 2017. Excuse me. It continues, Leon Botstein, the president of Bard College, invited Epstein, who brought a group of young female guests, to the campus. Noam Chomsky, remember him? They describe him as a professor, author, and political activist. Noam Chomsky is a radical leftist Marxist, okay? He was scheduled to fly with Epstein to have dinner at Epstein's Manhattan townhouse in 2015. None of their names appear in Epstein's now public black book of contacts or in the public flight logs of passengers who traveled on his private jet. The documents show that Epstein arranged multiple meetings with each of them after he had served jail time in 2008 for a sex crime involving a teenage girl and was registered as a sex offender. The documents, which include thousands of pages of emails and schedules from 2013 to 2017, haven't been previously reported. The documents don't reveal the purpose of most of the meetings, and the journal could not verify whether every scheduled meeting took place. But just keep in mind that these people were going to see him after he had been convicted the first time for a sex crime involving an underage girl and he had registered as a sex offender. Were these people personal friends of his that had nothing to do with anything? I don't know. Again, who knows? The journal uh, continues, most of those people told the journal they had visited Epstein for reasons related to his wealth and connections. Again, could very well be the truth. Several said they thought he had served his time and had rehabilitated himself. Also entirely possible, right? Benefit of the doubt. A lot of these people are leftists. Oh, we believe in rehabilitation and second chances. Okay, 
all to the good. Mr. Botstein said that he was trying to get Epstein to donate to his school. Okay, that's legit, or it could be. Uh, Mr. Chomsky said he and Epstein discussed political and academic topics. Also, by the way, over the weekend when uh, Noam Chomsky was approached by reporters with uh, questions about his association with Epstein, he said, Noam Chomsky snapped, none of your business. Okay. Mr. Burns, the current CIA director, met with Epstein about a decade ago as he was preparing to leave government service, said CIA spokeswoman Tammy Kupperman Thorpe. Quote, the director did not know anything about him other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and to offer general advice on transition to the private sector, she said. They had no relationship. Ms. Rumler had a, this is uh, the Obama um, White House counsel, had a professional relationship with Epstein in connection with her role at the law firm Latham & Watkins LLP and didn't travel with him, this according to a Goldman Sachs spokesperson. Epstein introduced her to potential legal clients, such as Microsoft Corp co-founder Bill Gates, the spokesman said. She said, I regret ever knowing Jeffrey Epstein. A spokeswoman for Latham and Watkins said Epstein wasn't a client of the firm. In 2006, Epstein was publicly accused of sexually abusing girls in Florida who were as young as 14. The FBI and police investigated, and Epstein reached a deal with prosecutors in 2008. Remember, this was that sweetheart deal. He avoided federal charges and pleaded guilty to soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. He then registered as a sex offender and served about 13 months in a work release program. Remember that whole sweetheart deal where he was in prison for a while and then uh, released to his home? Epstein's case generated waves of media coverage at the time with publications in the U.S. and abroad reporting on accusations from underage girls and young women. In 2006, several politicians returned donations from Epstein. Some associates moved to distance themselves from him. His biggest known client, retail billionaire Leslie Wexner, said he cut ties in 2007. His bank, J.P. Morgan Chase and Company, later said it closed his accounts in 2013, though some bankers continued to meet with him for years after. In 2015, Virginia Jufrey publicly accused Epstein of sexually abusing and trafficking her when she was a teen and forcing her to have sex with influential people, including Prince Andrew. Andrew denied the allegations and last year settled a sex abuse lawsuit by Ms. Jufrey. Okay, let's hit a quick break. I want to continue with this uh, because there's more here and there are more questions than answers. And nobody in the propaganda press is covering this, maybe because Biden's CIA director is all over this story. I don't know. We know that Biden loves to sniff young girls. Who knows? Who knows the big reason why they are blocking this story? But you know what? We're going to cover it here. So we've got much more on the other side. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. 
Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. All right, welcome back. Continuing now with this Jeffrey Epstein story reported in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. It goes on. Despite the negative press, Epstein's days were filled from morning to night with meetings with prominent people, the documents show. There were dinners at New York restaurants, meetings at luxury hotels, and gatherings in the offices of prominent law firms. Many appointments were held at Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan, Prosecutors alleged in 2019 that that townhouse is where Epstein sexually abused female victims for many years, many of them underage, and that he paid some of them to recruit their friends to engage in sexual activity. After the Miami Herald reported that dozens of women said that they were abused, prosecutors charged Epstein in 2019 with a sex trafficking conspiracy. Hmm, their words, not mine. He died later that year in a New York jail cell while awaiting trial in what the city's medical examiner said was a suicide. Okay, listen to this. Mr. Burns, this is Bill Burns, our current CIA director, 67 years old, a career diplomat and former ambassador to where? Oh, to Russia. Oh, interesting. Russia keeps popping up all over the place had meetings with Epstein in 2014 when Mr. Burns was Deputy Secretary of State. A lunch was planned that August at the law firm Steptoe & Johnson in Washington. Epstein scheduled two evening appointments that September with Mr. Burns at his townhouse, the documents show. After one of the scheduled meetings, Epstein planned for his driver to take Mr. Burns to the airport. Mr. Burns recalls being introduced in Washington by a mutual friend and meeting Epstein once briefly in New York, said Ms. Thorpe, the CIA's spokeswoman. The director does not recall any further contact, including receiving a ride to the airport, she said. The following month, October 2014, Mr. Burns stepped down from his role at the State Department to serve as president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. That's a think tank. He ran Carnegie until he was nominated in early 2021 by President Biden to serve as CIA director. The documents show that Epstein appeared to know some of his guests well. He asked for avocado sushi rolls to be on hand when meeting with Ms. Rumler, according to the documents. She is one of Obama's White House counsels. Avocado sushi rolls, so we knew that she liked that. He visited apartments she was considering buying. Well, that's a little weird, but okay. In October 2014, Epstein knew her travel plans and told an assistant to look into her flight. Quote, see if there is a first-class seat, he wrote. If so, upgrade her. Hmm. Do you have any friends upgrading you to first class? I don't. (laughs) In 2014, Epstein called Ms. Rumler within weeks of her leaving the Obama White House. Epstein planned a lunch in 2014 at his townhouse, followed by a series of meetings to introduce her to a wider circle of his acquaintances. Ms. Rumler first met Epstein after he called her, get this, to ask if she would be interested in representing Mr. Gates and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The Goldman Sachs spokesperson said. Huh. Huh. Why would Jeffrey Epstein be looking at an Obama uh, White House counsel for representation for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Weird. Weird. 
A spokeswoman for Mr. Gates said Epstein never worked for Mr. Gates, misrepresented their relationship, and that Mr. Gates regrets ever meeting with him. Everybody always regrets that when the truth comes out, right? Keep in mind that Melinda Gates divorced Bill Gates, at the time the richest man in the world, uh, based on his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, at least in part. More to that story too, I think, don't you? Epstein and his staff discussed whether Ms. Rumler uh, would be uncomfortable with the presence of young women who worked as assistants and staffers at the townhouse, the documents show. Women emailed to Epstein on two occasions to ask if they should avoid the home while Ms. Rumler was there. Epstein told one of the women he didn't want her around and another that it wasn't a problem, the documents show. Ms. Rumler didn't see anything that would lead her to be concerned at the townhouse and didn't express any concern, the Goldman spokesperson said. People who, well, like, went in and out of that townhouse um, said that, uh, you know, they didn't see anything. This is their story, that they didn't see anything amiss, no young girls running around, no crazy sex, no nothing like that. The story continues. Several people who visited Epstein during this time period said they noticed young women at his townhouse. One of the visitors, Helen Fisher, an anthropologist who studies romantic love and attachment, (laughs) that is quite a field of study, had lunch with Epstein in January 2016 to discuss her work. Dr. Fisher said that after the lunch, Epstein invited her to speak with his staff, quote, and then infiled, I would say, six young women, she said, all of them good-looking, all of them young. Dr. Fisher said Epstein never funded her work, they weren't friends, and they didn't stay in touch. Quote, I didn't have anything to do with Jeffrey Epstein, but I remembered it because of his spectacular house and because of the six young women. Over the next few years, Ms. Rumler, then a partner specializing in white-collar defense at Latham & Watkins, had more than three dozen appointments with Epstein, including for lunches and dinners. The Goldman a spokesperson said about her, quote, in the normal course, Epstein also invited her to meetings and social gatherings, introduced her to other business contacts, and made referrals. It was the same kind of contacts and engagements she had with other contacts and clients. In 2015, she was scheduled to fly with Epstein to Paris, and in 2017, he planned to stop in St. Lucia to take her to his island home in the U.S. Virgin Islands for the day according to the documents. Ms. Rumler never visited his island and, quote, never accepted an invitation or an opportunity to fly with Epstein anywhere, the spokesperson said. Okay. In addition to her current role as general counsel at Goldman Sachs, Ms. Rumler is co-chair of its Reputational Risk Committee, which monitors business and client decisions for potential damage to the bank's image. Huh. Again, I have no idea what's going on here, but Ms. Rumler is Goldman Sachs's co-chair of its Reputational Risk Committee. Just throwing that out there as the Wall Street Journal did. Epstein also connected Ms. Rumler with Ariane de Rothschild, who is now chief executive of the Swiss private bank Edmond de Rothschild Group. The bank hired Ms. Rumler's law firm, Latham & Watkins, after the introduction to help with U.S. regulatory matters, according to the bank. Ms. de Rothschild, who is married into the famous banking family, had more than a dozen meetings with Mr. Epstein. He sought her help with staffing and furnishings, as well as discussed business deals with her, according to the documents. In September 2013, Epstein asked Mrs. de Rothschild in an email for help finding a new assistant. Quote, female, multilingual, organized. I'll ask around, Mrs. de Rothschild emailed back. She bought nearly $1 million worth of auction items on Epstein's behalf in 2014 and 2015, the documents show. Mrs. de Rothschild was named chairwoman of the bank in January 2015. That October, she and Epstein negotiated a $25 million contract for Epstein's Southern Trust Company to provide, quote, risk analysis 
and the application and use of certain algorithms for the bank. And then it goes on to say that they had all of these uh, business transactions together. The piece then continues, one of Mr. Epstein's scheduled meetings with Mrs. Rothschild in January 2014 included another one of his regular guests, Joshua Cooper Ramo, then co-chief executive of Henry Kissinger's corporate consulting firm. Then it goes on to discuss their relationship, and it concludes this way. Mr. Ramo, who still sits on the board of FedEx and recently stepped down from the Starbucks board, did not respond to requests for comment. A spokeswoman for Mr. Kissinger said he wasn't aware that Mr. Ramo was meeting with Epstein. Former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak also makes an appearance in this article. He's described as, quote, another regular guest. Mr. Barak also met with Epstein in 2015 with Mr. Chomsky, now 94, uh, the activist that I told you about. Um, Mr. Chomsky said Epstein arranged the meeting with Mr. Barak for them to discuss, quote, Israel's policies with regard to Palestinian issues and the international arena. Mr. Barak said he often met with Epstein on trips to New York and was introduced to people such as Mr. Ramo and Mr. Chomsky to discuss geopolitics and other topics. When asked about his relationship with Epstein, Mr. Chomsky replied in an email, quote, first response is that it's none of your business or anyone's. Second is that I knew him and we met occasionally. It goes on, two months later, Epstein planned to fly with Mr. Chomsky and his wife to have dinner with them and movie director Woody Allen and his wife, Sunyu Previn, the documents show. Mr. Chomsky said, if there was a flight, which I doubt, it would have been from Boston to New York 30 minutes. I'm unaware of the principle that requires that I inform you about an evening spent with a great artist. In a 2020 interview with the Dunk Tank podcast, Mr. Chomsky said that people he considered worse than Epstein had donated to MIT, as Epstein had given big donations to MIT. He didn't mention any of his meetings with Epstein at the time. Mr. Chomsky told the journal that at the time of his meetings, quote, what was known about Jeffrey Epstein was that he had been convicted of a crime and had served his sentence. According to U.S. laws and norms, that yields a clean slate, which is entirely true, guys, right? Entirely true. MIT said lawyers investigating its ties to Epstein did not find that Chomsky met with Epstein on its campus or received funding from him. And then it goes into Epstein's relationship with this Leon Botstein, who is the president of Bard College. And Mr. Botstein says, look, I was just looking for donations to our school. Uh, We knew that Epstein had real uh, serious academic interests. And basically, that's all we were interested in. And the article concludes this way. At Epstein's home, Mr. Botstein was led to a dining room where they discussed classical music and other causes. Quote, he presented himself as a billionaire, a really, really rich person. I found him odd and arrogant. And what I finally came to believe, which is why we stopped contact with him, is that he was simply stringing us along. He said he never made another donation to Bard. Quote, it was a blessing in disguise that we never got any more money. Okay, so this is this article. And again, you can go check it out for yourself at the Wall Street Journal website. But, I mean, it's all fascinating, isn't it? And again, all of these stories sort of play out this way. Famous people suddenly remembering their associations with Jeffrey Epstein, but insisting that it was all like on the up and up. And again, I wasn't privy to any of these relationships. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein, all of these other people, I I don't know. It all could have been on the up and up. Again, he was presenting himself as this uh, global philanthropist, this billionaire, well-connected, and they all wanted in. And in all of these cases, maybe that's true. Maybe it was all just, you know, business, social relationships. But it really does raise a lot of um, suspicion, doesn't it? I mean, with the news uh, over the weekend here from this piece that Epstein met with Biden's current CIA head, 
Bill Burns, after his child sex crime convictions, I mean, it's important to also remember that when Epstein was serving his first jail sentence, which started back in 2006, he sent his bodyguard to CIA headquarters for an alleged special training course. The bodyguard was given a book with a message to be delivered to Epstein. And it's believed by some people that Epstein may have been running a blackmail operation with multiple rogue intelligence agencies. Who knows? But as more of these connections come to light, it's becoming harder to dismiss that as a possibility. The the bodyguard going to the CIA, by the way, is in a book called Relentless Pursuit. So that's the source for that. And then remember that, that picture of Ghislaine Maxwell that that sort of surfaced after she had been missing for a while, but before they took her into custody. She was in LA at an outdoor cafe. And the book that she was reading when she was photographed was The Secret Lives and Deaths of CIA Operatives. Well, that's an interesting choice of reading material, is it not? Some might say that she did that on purpose. That that was another clue that she was, you know, signaling to the powers that be she was aware of what was going down and that they needed to secure her safety. I don't know. I mean, it worked. She's alive. She's in custody and she's in prison, but she's alive. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know. I wanted to bring you this because... People deserve answers on this, and the propaganda press is, by and large, refusing to touch it now, and you got to ask questions about why that's happening. But the Wall Street Journal is a major publication. They will take on stories like this. They did do this reporting, and there is much more to come on all of this. So um, we're going to stay on top of it, but I wanted to bring it to you because we're in the business of trying to put pieces together because as I always say on this show, it's all of a piece, right? Now, again, maybe this is just all surface stuff. Maybe all of their stories are in fact true that they were just attracted to this well-connected rich guy trying to get his money, trying to um, leverage his relationships. All of that may in fact be true. Again, I don't know, but I do suspect that there is more to this story and I think you do too. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Kat Kamek, a congresswoman from Florida, about what is going on in the House and on the border. And we're going to talk to her about, she's been speaking a lot about the CCP trying to buy up our farmland. So sit tight, big interview coming straight up. Don't go anywhere. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome for the first time to the Monica Crowley podcast, but hopefully not the last time, Congresswoman Kat Kamek. She represents Florida's third congressional district in the House, and she sits on the House Commerce, Agriculture, and Weaponization Committees, all incredibly important for the years ahead and for all of the American people. She's absolutely terrific. You can find her on Twitter at Rep. Kat Kamek, and also at Kat Kamek, which is her personal Twitter account. And she joins me now. Kat, it's so good to have you here. We met for the first time at Mar-a-Lago a couple of weeks yes. ago, and we became fast <laughs> friends. Yes, I knew immediately that uh, we were soul sisters. And <laughs> I am so glad that we've finally been able to connect and, and to do this. And uh, as you said, I hope it is not the last or not the first, uh, but one of many. Well, you are a terrific representative for Florida's 3rd Congressional District, and really for all of us fellow deplorables and people who just believe in America first and bringing this country back to its real foundational principles, individual liberty and economic freedom. You're such a champion for those things, and we value you, and uh, I certainly value our friendship. So let's begin, because there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about today, Um, and you are at the forefront of so many fights, but let's begin with the debt ceiling fight, because we're going to hit a wall here in June or maybe early July. Where are we on this right now? Where do the negotiations stand? What are you hearing from the White House and from the Speaker? 
Mm. So <laughs> I'm going to try to be as brief as possible because this thing is just massive. And um, as a as a conservative, I am always very, very skeptical about any sort of debt ceiling increase. In fact, um, up until this point, I had never voted for one. I, I think it's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and quite literally the definition of insanity, what we have done for decades, which is we continue to increase the debt ceiling and we make no reforms to cut spending or reduce the size of government. So when we started this process, um, knowing back in the fall that the Democrats were going to play politics, because keep in mind, Nancy Pelosi and and Schumer and Steny Hoyer and Biden, they've been spending like it is going out of style, mm-hmm. $10 trillion in the first two and a half years. And it has really hit home in so many ways. I mean, we see that every day with the price of gas. We see that with historic 40-year high inflation. We see this every single time we are out and about in our everyday lives, the devastating effects of Biden economics. And so in December, when they decided they, being the the Democrats, had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, they put together an omnibus package that should have, in their minds, included a, a debt ceiling increase. And when I asked, you know, why aren't they pushing for it if they're the ones who say they want a clean increase, why aren't they putting it in their own package? It's because they wanted to play politics. They wanted Republicans to fight over this debt ceiling, and they wanted us to fail. And I think it's always a terrible, um, a terrible thing when you put politics above people's lives. And and I've said it recently. You know, I, I think it's absolutely horrific that the the default setting of politicians today is I'd rather see my opponents fail than my country succeed. Mm-hmm. That is. The state of affairs in America today. And so um, they wanted us to fight and bicker and they didn't think that we had it in us to actually get uh, reforms and, and everybody together on the same page, but we did. And what we got as a starting point, and I say that very deliberately as the debt ceiling package are cuts, certainly caps necessary, but structural reforms to how things are done in Washington, D.C., um, I am a little bit biased. Um, my bill, my my signature piece of legislation, the RAINS Act, um, was used in this package. And the reason why that's so important is because it reigns in the overreaching regulatory environment of the executive branch. Now, people are probably saying, oh, my God, Kat, that is the, like the least sexiest thing that you could talk about, <laughs> <laughs> the regulatory regime. But and Monica, you know this better than anybody. The regulatory regime, it's like the fourth branch of government. It is everywhere, and it has its its tentacles in every aspect of our life, and it's strangling us to death. Yes, It's us as consumers, industry, small businesses, you name it. And what the Biden administration has done is they have decided to regulate out of business any industry that they don't like that doesn't fit in their political narrative. Look no further than the energy industry. Look no further than the firearms industry. Every time we turn around, there's a new regulation. So this this package had everything from a $4.8 trillion cut in spending to capping all of the spending to uh, ensuring that HR1, getting domestic production of energy back on track is in there. And of course, the Um, work requirements for um, able-bodied individuals who are on um, welfare, but also reigns. And I say that it's a starting point because now the Senate has to pick it up. And what the Senate is going to do, being a democratically controlled body, is they're going to rip it to shreds and they're going to try to get it to as much of a clean debt ceiling as humanly possible. We as Americans can't let that happen. So I encourage everyone, call the Capitol switchboard, Call your two senators. Every state has two senators. Call each of them. It takes you less than two minutes. Tell them that you want that senator to support the Republican plan out of the House. That goes a long way in helping us preserve all these good reforms that are going to bring our country back from the brink. Yes. And this proposal is actually a very reasonable one. I know you were a yes vote on this. It's a very reasonable proposal to at least begin to rein in government and this 
out of control spending that has gotten us to $32 trillion debt, trillion dollar plus annual deficits. This is unsustainable. We cannot go on like this. So kudos to you and the speaker for hurting the cats and at least getting us this far in the conversation. Now, that being said, as you point out, uh, Democrats in the Senate, they control that chamber. They're going to send you back a stripped down. It's like looking at a stripped down car in an abandoned <laughs> parking lot, right? That's what they're going to send back to you. And Biden says, look, in the slim chance that it makes it through the Senate, I will veto it. So assuming we hit one or both of those walls, what is next then? What's, what is your next plan as the GOP-led uh, House? And then what's the next plan for dealing with the debt ceiling? Well, I can tell you, just speaking with my colleagues um, on our side, we're not going to support a clean debt ceiling increase. We have responsibilities, certainly, to pay our debts. And the debt ceiling, I think it's so important that people understand this is from past spending. This is stuff that has already happened. This isn't for future spending. It's to accommodate the fact that the interest on our debt is basically half of discretionary as it stands. And so it's very unsustainable. And, um, and, and it's, it's really in large part because of the interest on the, de- the debt. It's not necessarily the spending, it's the interest. So in order to avoid a default, something has to be done. But we're, we were given the majority in the Republican House for a reason, and it's to lead. And that means you got to take arrows, you're going to be criticized. And I'll be damned if we don't take this opportunity to really fight for those reforms. And so I can tell you there's probably 100, 150 Republicans who will not support a stripped down version of a debt ceiling increase. I want Joe Biden to stand up and say why he deserves more power. Why is he so concerned about Americans having more say and transparency in their government? That's really what he's saying by vetoing this package. He's saying, I don't want the RAINS Act because I believe I know better than everyday Americans. I don't want to reduce the size of government. And I'll tell you why. Because the ultra-liberal left agenda, the agenda of Joe Biden and Barack Obama and, and the Clintons, all of that has always been about one thing, dependency and control. Right. Dependency and control. They grow the size of government. They grow the size of government programs so that people become dependent on them. And then they, being the big government politicians, they stay in control. That's all this agenda is about. So I want, I want Joe Biden to come out and defend a, a government that is bloated, unresponsive, and literally strapping debt to our kids and our grandkids. Defend that. I want I want him to explain that because we are going to stand firm in making sure that we don't cave on this. I so also it's going to be pretty nasty. Yeah, and I give you guys a lot of credit um, for standing up on this and not doing the usual cave that so many Republican voters have just rolled their eyes at and been incredibly frustrated by over the years. That you guys are really holding the Biden administration and the Democrats their feet to the fire on this because we cannot go on like this. If we deal with the debt and annual deficits, gov- the size of government, government spending, if we cut the head off the snake, then everything else will sort of fall in place. But you got to deal with this first. So kudos for you guys for standing up and, and continuing the fight. That's what we elected you for. And uh, we appreciate that that you're actually doing what you guys promised. All right, Kat, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. So much more I want to cover with you on this and, and other issues. So please hang tight. First, so guys, you know what's right around the corner? Mother's Day. Got to start thinking about a great gift for mom, right? Well, this Mother's Day, give the gift of great skin with GenuCell. Mom is going to love getting skincare products, I promise you, and GenuCell is where it's at. For our listeners, when you go to GenuCell.com slash Monica, you can save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package during their Mother's Day sale. Every most popular package features their Ultra Retinol, which I use pretty much every night and absolutely love it. It really works and it's great for sensitive skin. It also includes their dark spot corrector. Also get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order from now until Mother's Day. Plus free upgrade to priority shipping. 
Nothing works like GenuCell because it's a family recipe for over 20 years, made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches and always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. So go to GenuCell.com slash Monica and save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package during their Mother's Day sale. Every most popular package features their Ultra Retinol, which I love, and Dark Spot Corrector. So don't wait. Go to GenuCell.com slash Monica. Again, GenuCell.com slash Monica. Get a complimentary spa essentials box with every package order from now until Mother's Day, plus free upgrade to priority shipping. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L, GenuCell.com slash Monica. Again, GenuCell.com slash Monica. We're coming right back. All right, welcome back. We're talking to Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamek. Um, Let me ask you about one little aspect of this, because part of the proposal is uh, sending all of the unspent COVID money back to the Treasury, right? And we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, because the Democrats continued to spend, when they came in in January of 2021, they continued to spend at emergency level uh, levels without the actual emergency. We in the Trump administration had an actual emergency. We had to get the American people through the most acute period of the crisis, but then that was over and the Democrats kept spending at those levels. So we're talking about probably hundreds of billions of dollars still sitting in the pipeline unspent. And this bill actually sends that money back as it should be. But I want to ask you about one particular aspect of this because I've been covering it on this show now for a year, Kat, and I'm going to cover it again later this week on this show, which is that the World Health Organization, in conjunction with the Gates Foundation and the Biden administration, is considering a series of amendments and a new pandemic treaty that would completely strip the United States of any kind of sovereignty in our decision-making with regard to another global public health crisis. So these amendments come up first, and it, they're coming up like within four weeks. And we, the administration is totally on board, but the United States would proactively have to say no to this. And it won't matter, Kat, I'm sitting in Florida, you represent Florida, it won't matter if Americans are living in a free state like Florida, because if Biden signs these and is a party to it, we will lose all sovereignty. It won't matter if you're in Florida or California, you'll have to mask, you'll have to socially distance, you'll have to get experimental medications. It won't matter. It will be whatever the WHO says. So my question to you is, is it at all possible to link these budget negotiations and the unspent COVID money to pressure on the administration not to go down this road? I think that's going to be part of the negotiation, certainly. I mean, like, we are so far away from the finish line now that anything is liable to happen. But I will tell you, separate of these negotiations that are going on with the debt ceiling, I would tell you that I serve on Energy and Commerce. It's the committee that has jurisdiction of basically the entire American economy and healthcare being a huge part of that. We've had conversations about the concerns that we have with WHO. We continue to fund them as their largest donor. And yet they are against us, just like the UN, nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. So we only are allowing them to continue this by remaining their, their sugar daddy, for lack of a better way to put it. And so there is absolutely talks right now within the committee of jurisdiction of decoupling us from the WHO. We have seen what they have done throughout COVID, basically becoming a, a, uh, parrot for China. They didn't do anything whatsoever to hold China accountable. They, in fact, um, amplified the narrative that China was cooperating and being transparent. We know that they were not. And think about how many lives could have been saved. And I, I asked this um, in a meeting not too long ago, how many lives could have been saved had the WHO themselves actually questioned China? The data modeling that was used to combat the virus was in large part coming from China. Well, because China gave us bad data, that all the modeling was skewed. So 
I, I think that there is a, a very strong push right now within the House of Representatives to remove ourselves from the, w, the, the WHO. I really do think um, that there has got to be a bigger, larger conversation. And so the question of sovereignty um, would be a non-issue because we are a sovereign nation. No one will ever make decisions for us. No international body like the UN or the WHO will ever, ever, ever make decisions for the United States. Um, and, and so I think that this is a bigger longer conversation about what the United States future role is going to be with the WHO because right now we're funding them and they are doing everything they can to erode the confidence of of true science real science um, by playing politics with people's lives yes and not just that, like I said, they are going to vote on these amendments, um, I believe, at the end of May. So we only have like four or five weeks. And the, the Biden administration is completely on board with this. They are willing to sell our sovereignty on pub global public health decisions to the WHO, which, as you point out, Kat, is pretty much a subsidiary of the CCP, as well as the Gates Foundation. So I, again, you know, if these amendments go through and this uh, later down the pike, this new pandemic treaty goes through, it won't matter what state you live in, right? A lot of people fled to Florida from blue states for freedom during the pandemic. It won't matter because those amendments and this new treaty will trump federal law and state law and we will have no choice. So um, I appreciate, you know, the longer term effort on the WHO. I was just concerned that maybe we should try to link some of this debt ceiling stuff to blocking uh, the amendments coming up down the pike because it's really serious stuff. Um, Kat, mentioning the CCP in our final minutes here with you, you sit on the Agriculture Committee and you have been a very strong voice here against uh, the Chinese Communist Party, Chinese-related entities buying up our farmland. They're doing these massive land grabs across the country. Can you speak to us a little bit about that and what y'all are doing? Absolutely. You know, it is incredibly frustrating that this has been happening for some time. We've been, you know, sounding the alarm and very few people have taken it seriously up until this point. In my district alone, I represent North Central Florida, um, a company that was tied back to the CCP thanks to the work of our team and others. Um, they bought 1,400 acres. And this was, you know, traditional farmland, about 30 minutes away from Gainesville, uh, which of course is home to the University of Florida, which is a billion dollar R&D uh, university. And uh, we've had our own run-ins with Thousand Talent program uh, participants and Chinese nationalists who have stolen um, IP uh, from the university and from the American taxpayers. So this, is, this was a little bit of a, a real hitting close to home for me, where we saw this company wanted to engage in what they described as primate research on these 1,400 acres. Well, when you dig into these companies and their ties back to the mainland, uh, there's this element called the golden share. The golden share is part of Chinese law, which requires that any Chinese company um, provide to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, a share, a seat at the, their governing board, um, access to all of their data, um, consumer information, intellectual property, you name it, the CCP owns it. They have access to it. And so this was very concerning to us. Thankfully, the local um, county commission was able to stop the rezoning required. So that project itself is dead on arrival. But how many other pieces of property, how many farms have been sold to the CCP, how many are within vicinity of military installations. Uh, a good example is Smithfield, Smithfield products. Everybody knows them from going in the grocery store, um, you know, ham and bacon and whatnot. Yeah. That is now owned by the CCP. I will not buy Smithfield products for that reason. Um, this is an over, uh, an overt attempt by the CCP, not just to undermine us through propaganda means, through military means of what's we're seeing, uh, but they're trying to isolate us by um, becoming an ally to our allies. Uh, they're looking to undermine critical infrastructure. You see how they control the world's share of mining for critical minerals, uh, fertilizers. Now you look at the food supply. We've looked at agriculture for a long time as a given. 
as a, this is part of our history uh, as an agrarian society, et cetera. Not until recently did we think of food security as national security. Mm -hmm. A nation that cannot feed itself is not secure. And so when you see China going around and buying up precious farmland that is getting harder and harder to come by in the United States because it's become increasingly more difficult with a, uh, I'll say, adversarial administration like the Biden administration. Um, it's it's getting harder and harder to produce. So the the thought of selling out is is very easy for so so many people, but very few know that it's actually the Chinese that are going out and buying up this critical farmland. So we have legislation that we have uh, co-sponsored to stop this at the federal level. Uh, states have also stepped up saying that they will not sell to Chinese nationals. Um, I think that there will be a Supreme Court case ultimately that decides the constitutionality of that. Uh, but it's something that I'm deeply concerned about. I know my colleagues are deeply concerned about, and it's one thing that we have to be very, very mindful of um, here over the next couple of years. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that you're staying on top of this because this is a full-on infiltration by the CCP. I mean, they're they're spying on us from above. They're buying our farmland, and as you say, food security is national security. And when you pair the CCP's land grabs with Bill Gates buying up hundreds of thousands of acres, I mean, th this is a very frightening moment. So thank you for staying on top of it. A final question for you, Congresswoman. So you are in Florida. You do represent the Gainesville area, Florida's third congressional district. And there are two 800-pound gorillas coming out of your state who are going to run for president against each other in the Republican primary. Donald Trump, of course, and Governor DeSantis uh, looks like he's going to announce as well. And a lot of your congressional colleagues, Byron Donalds and, and others, Others have come forward and endorsed President Trump. You have not made an endorsement yet. Can you tell us why? Yeah. Well, one, we're a long ways out from a presidential election, um, which won't really get kicked off until January of next year. So we have a lot of time between now and then, and a lot of things that we in the House representatives have to do in order to try and prove to the American people that we are capable of getting our country back on track. The other thing is I, I've said repeatedly publicly that I have great respect for both Governor DeSantis and President Trump. I have great relationships with both. Um, it wasn't but a few weeks ago I sat down and, and had a great meeting with President Trump, and I've been a big supporter of his for the entire time that he's been involved in, in federal national politics. So this isn't a uh, anti-DeSantis, anti-Trump anything. It is a, I want us to be in a position to take our country back. And so I'll be backing the, the person who I think is um, best positioned to do so. But a lot's going to happen between now and, and that first primary and in, uh, in the beginning of next year. So one thing that I do know for sure, though, Monica, is that no doubt, the next president of the United States will hail from the Sunshine State. <laughs> are they both wooing you? <laughs> are you getting <laughs> Are you getting flowers every day from both of them? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I, I, you know, I like to think that uh, you know I'm a constitutional conservative. I, and that's the challenge that people I think see with um, with Republicans is we're very independent thinkers. We're very, very hard to wrangle. Um, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very bad at complying. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of a renegade in me. But uh, when I go all in, I'll be all in for for my my person. So Congresswoman Kat Kamek keeping her powder dry. All right. Listen, <laughs> you are absolutely terrific. And we so appreciate that you're in Congress fighting the good fight and putting America first. We're grateful for your service, Kat. And I am so grateful for your friendship. You're amazing. Oh, likewise. And hey, for all the listeners out there, so many times people, you'll see them on TV, you'll see them in photos. And you're like, oh, I bet up close that they just, you know, it, that must be all airbrushing and stuff like that. Y'all, it's the real deal with Monica. She is stunning, even more beautiful in person. Holy smokes. So oh. glad to be your friend. 
God, I wasn't expecting that compliment. That is so kind of you and so sweet. Thank you. And right back at you, Kakamek is absolutely gorgeous. And like I said, we met at Mar-a-Lago at an event that I was emceeing and Kat was speaking at, and she is pure dynamite on top of being beautiful inside and out. So I treasure your friendship too, Kat. Oh, love you, girl. Love you too. Keep fighting the good fight. Congresswoman Kat Kamek of Florida's 3rd Congressional District. Check her out on social media at Rep Kat Kamek and also at Kat Kamek on Twitter. All right. Well, an absolutely blockbuster show today per usual, right? Where do you get this kind of mix of topics and energy and guests? right here on the Monica Crowley program. And that's why we are so happy to have you on board, especially on these Mondays, right? Right? We need to kick off the the week with a really great podcast. This is it. Please tell all of your friends, family, colleagues to be subscribing to this show because we bring you stuff that you can't get most places, right? And we have a good time while we're doing it. All right. um, On Wednesday, we're going to talk about this World Health Organization stuff with former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, who has been all over this. She's been pure dynamite. We're going to break it all down and how we can all mobilize to stop the Biden administration from going down this road, which is a very, very dangerous path. All right. So have a great start to your week. And I will see you right back here on Wednesday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.